You're listening to Can I Say That, a project created by Brenna Blaine in hopes of engaging culture as Christians in a post-Christian world. Here, we hope to ask the questions we sometimes ponder, but rarely have a chance to ask in the church. Jesus said, he is the way and the truth and the life. So we hope we can engage truth together and in extension, know the eternal life he offers. Hey friends, it is Brenna Blaine and it has been a few months. I hope you guys had a restful and adventure-filled summer. I know for us, we just bought a house and it's the first time ever that we have had a backyard. And so I have gotten to spend every single day sitting in the backyard with my boys and it has just been a huge blessing. But I am glad that we are back this school year. We are planning on doing quarterly episodes, so four episodes over the school year. If you're wondering what are those episodes going to be about, you can be a part of the question asking process. If you are on social media, you can go to Brenna Blaine or at Bun on My Head. And every time before I do an interview, I always post what the topic is going to be about and then ask you guys what are your questions when it comes to this topic? And usually we're able to work in three or four of those questions into the interview. Today we are hearing from my friend Amy Gannett, who is a writer and Bible teacher and also the founder of Tiny Theologians, which is a resource for kids ages 2 to 12 that teaches them about the Bible and about theology. And as a parent of young children... I look at this resource that Amy created and I think it is absolutely not just brilliant, but it is so helpful because there are so many times that I have conversations with Rudy where he goes, if Jesus is in my heart, when is he going to come out? And I go, oh, hopefully never, sweetheart. But I understand that you are a little bit confused. And you know what? So am I. Amy (laughs) creates resources that speak to kids on their level of understanding about Jesus, about God, about the Trinity, about the Bible, that is just so helpful. And so if you have kids between 2 and 12, or if you have friends and you're like, what's a good gift? Tiny Theologians is absolutely where it's at because not only is it fun and creative and aesthetically pleasing, it's also meaningful, right? It also impacts the faith of a young person. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode entitled Spiritual Rhythms with Amy Gannett. Okay, just to get started, I know there are people, including myself, because I I think about spiritual rhythms and I know a few, but I go, okay, what exactly are spiritual rhythms? So spiritual rhythms, I think, can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. So I think it's helpful to give a definition, at least for the way we're talking about it, because it could be a little bit different for the way other people talk about it. But spiritual rhythms, in my understanding and in my own use of them, is they are physical practices. And by physical, I just mean they're things that I enact in my body or in my home or in my physical space that remind me of spiritual realities. So what we're trying to do as Christians is not sort of escape from the human 
world in order to be in touch with the spiritual world. But actually, as Christians, we proclaim that the inverse is true, that, and we can unpack this in so many different ways. But be, ultimately, because of the incarnation, because we believe that our greatest spiritual hope became flesh, that by living our lives in ways where we live in the flesh in ways that reflect God's call on our lives and the things that we believe, we actually are reminding ourselves of that ultimate spiritual hope. So we can trace our theology through scripture, through the doctrine of the incarnation, and then we can actually put into practice physical rhythms in our lives or spiritual rhythms that remind us of a greater reality beyond this world. So when I talk about spiritual rhythms, that's at least what I have in mind when I use that term. So then when, when we're looking at scripture, what are some of the points that stick out to you where you go, man, I see Jesus talking about this with his followers. I see this as a call that maybe Paul wrote to the churches. What what are some of those instances that we see? Yeah, one of the one of the biggest rhythms that we see practiced in Jesus's life in particular that I think the church is eager to practice again, a spiritual rhythm that would be a blessing to the church today, a spiritual rhythm that we actually see Christians hungering after is the spiritual rhythm of going away to pray. We see this in Jesus's life so many times. He draws away from the crowd and he goes to pray. He draws away from the crowd and he goes to pray. And this rhythm was so that he could abide with the Father. He tells us, he tells his disciples several times, I'm going to be with my Father. I'm going to you know, I'm drawing away to pray, but the purpose wasn't the way a lot of Christians today think of prayer. You know, I'm going to ask the father for this sort of checklist of things that I need in my life. No, it was going to commune and going to abide with the father. And so that necessitated him physically withdrawing from the crowds and going away to pray um, to remind him of the true spiritual reality that he abides in the father and that he and the father are one. And we do that as Christians today. We emulate the practice of Christ by going away by ourselves to pray. So whether that's going away into our bedroom for 15 minutes before we go to bed and praying, or whether it means we get up before the kids are up and we sit in our living room and we go away from the crowds to pray, or whether it means the pastor pulls away from his congregation for a few minutes before the sermon on a Sunday morning and goes into his office to pray um, so that we are reminded of the spirituality, that we're reliant on Christ, um, that we are abiding in him, that we are communing in the spirit. That's a physical rhythm, a spiritual rhythm that reminds us of a spiritual reality. So we see prayer in scripture. We see fasting in scripture. Fasting was a physical practice, still is, of abstaining from food in order to remind ourselves of a truer spiritual reality. So as our stomachs grow hungry by abstaining from food or even just a particular kind of food, as our stomachs growl, we're reminded, goodness, my true spiritual hunger is actually not for things of this world. My true spiritual hunger is for Christ in his soon coming kingdom. And so these physical practices that we see in scripture are ones that we can actually emulate today with joy. And we see a lot of them commanded throughout scripture, but I actually, I kind of want to flip this question. You asked, are all followers of Christ called to partake in them or to participate in these spiritual rhythms that we see in scripture? And I actually think you know, so we can name a bunch of spiritual rhythms. We can name fasting and prayer, communion and baptism. Um, you know, there's the fellowship of the saints, all of these things. But I actually think a different question is 
more revealing of our human hearts, at least in my theological circles within the church today, is why would I, if I see it emulated in the life of Christ, and if I see it committed in scripture, why would I want to abstain from them? Why would I want to pull away from fellowship in the church during worship? Why would I want to abstain from pulling away and praying and abiding with the Father? Why would I want to stay away from the communion table if I'm right with my fellow man and I'm right before God? Why would I want to stay away from the supper? Um, I, I hear a lot of believers ask, do I have to be baptized in order to be saved? You know, if it's just an outward sign, then why do I need to do that in order to be saved? And I want to be like, well, but Jesus did it himself. It was worth enough to Jesus to go down into the Jordan and to let John the Baptist dunk him under the water and experience the um, joy of the Father over him, the pleasure of the Father in his ministry, the spirit descending like a dove. You know, so I guess the question, do I have to do that to be saved, to me just sort of goes, I just want to be like, we're asking the wrong question. Why would we not want to do the things that scripture commands and the things that Jesus himself practiced? Because we can trust God that they are ultimately for our good. They're really just rhythms that put our bodies and lives and homes in a posture to remember um, what is ultimately true about our lives. And that is um, the hope we have in Christ, the reality of the gospel and the goodness of our good father. I know there are people listening right now who go, okay, I... I do this as much as I can. I, I get to church on the weekends. I try to make time for prayer or for implementing something into my life. But, you know, how do we navigate spiritual practices when our lives are busy? Is this something that we really should be actually sacrificing or making room for? That's a valid question because we have a lot of things that buy for our time. And you know this in your life with little ones and with work and with a local church that you're committed to. And I know this in my life with little ones and work and a local church that I'm committed to. So it's a valid question to ask about the time aspect of this. I just think that sort of like the last question, we can sort of flip it and start taking stock of the things that we have already made time for. I am a mom to two little ones. I have a six-month-old who does not yet sleep through the night. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. My husband and I both work from home. We're both full-time church planters. I run a side business. We work from home with no child care. You know, like this isn't a competition. Like We're all busy, right? And yet I have made time to make it through my favorite new show. Do you know what that takes? Like, do you know what it takes to find time to watch a 40-minute episode of a new show that has maybe 10 episodes per season? And I'm going to make room for that. I'm going to make time for it. Why? Because I love it. And I enjoy it. And it gives me my joy. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if I were to say, you know, I do not have time to pray within my week. I, I just don't know how I could find the time. It's actually worth me stopping and saying, well, I actually make time for a lot of things that give me joy. So to back up and ask, how could I reorient myself to the things that really do give me true joy? And how can I ask myself better and maybe harder questions of whether or not these things are worth making time for? Um, because if Jesus practiced them, good gracious, we know that they are worth making time for. But if there's something I should make time for, how could I do that? I think our time has become our biggest value in today's culture. So it's our biggest like bartering chip. 
it's greater than the currency of money for us. Um, and the U.S. dollar is our time. We value it more. And so I think if we, well, my parents raised me with the principle. I don't know if you've heard this. It's it's kind of talked about a lot among parents, and I didn't realize that. But there's a principle of when you talk to your kids about whether or not you can afford something. Like if your kids ask, you know, can we, you know, our neighbors are going on a boat trip and they're going jet skiing this summer. Can we do that? Instead of saying, well, we can't afford to do that, saying, how could we afford to do that? It's like a different, it shifts the mindset of like, we shutting it down. Like we just can't, we don't have the funds for that. But instead asking a kid to be creative, like how could we, what are ways that we could think about affording something like that? So I think we can actually think about our time that way and it would serve us well. How could we make time for these things that are important, um, that are objectively important for the life of the Christian? Um, But I also think it's worth easing into graciously to have grace with yourself and say life is busy. So, um, you know, there's a young woman in our local church who is in a very intense season of medical school. And she was asking me, you know, what would you do in this season? You know, it's only going to last like another year. What would you do in this season where life is really busy? Like, how would you manage church commitments and friendships and stuff like that? And I really had to think about it because the truth is that she feels really busy as a young 20-something um, woman who is in medical school, but you know what? It's not the last season she's going to feel really busy in. So I encourage her to sit down and make a list. What is most important to you? Maybe pare back the list. Maybe you would have a really long list of spiritual disciplines that you would love to practice when your life has the time for it in the margin, but maybe you pare it down to three or four that feel really essential that God is calling you to practice. Um, and I would say for most believers, it needs to be spending time in God's word, spending time in the fellowship of believers at church and like sitting under the preached word and spending time in prayer. Those disciplines are sort of irreplaceable in the life of the Christian. So in really busy seasons, maybe you make a short list. And then when you find that, you know, you've graduated from school and you're easing into a new career, well, life is a bit more routine now. I'm going to consider what it would look like to add a discipline like or a rhythm like fasting or something, you know, something different um, to that mix. But I think we need to realize that we make time for a lot of things. And if these things are important, gosh, there is a way to make time for them. We just need to start looking at our schedules a little with a little bit of a different eye. And I think we'll find it. One of our listeners sent in this question, but it's something I was like, oh man, I struggle with this quite often. What happens when we get into a season of apathy or feeling inauthentic with these practices, to what extent do we just go through the motions? Um, I think that there there's going to be a different answer depending on who you are and what apathy means for you and what inauthentic means for you. So I don't want to speak to this listener specifically because I don't know her situation, but I'll tell you how I have navigated seasons of apathy. Apathy and inauthenticity are two very different things. So a season of apathy to me signals that I just don't have interest in reading my Bible. I don't have interest in going to church. Um, Other things feel more appealing, that sort of thing. In those seasons, one of the things that has been most helpful to me is to um, lean on the discipline that I've set up in my life of going to church. So when I'm apathetic. And I think, gosh, staying in bed and watching my favorite TV show, for example, would just seem so much more appealing. Or even maybe I'll tune into church online, but I'm going to do my PJs from bed 
instead of going in person and actually bumping into other believers and having good conversation and singing with the saints, all of those things, instead of that, being in bed just feels, and in my pajamas, feels more appealing. Um, apathy can drive us to that. And that's when I think we lean on the discipline of the rhythms and routines and the spiritual rhythms that we have set up for ourselves. And we say, you know what? I have seen this be fruitful in my life before. Um, my husband and I joke, we almost never um, want to go to small group. You know, it's like an hour before small group starts. And there's almost never a time that we're like, I can't wait to go to small group. But do you know what we remind ourselves is that we have never gone. We've never made the effort to go. Not once in our years of ministry, in our years of walking with the Lord in um, a local church community, we have never once gone and regretted it. So we lean on that discipline. We go and we say, you know what? I'm just not going to regret going. So when we're feeling apathetic, I think that discipline helps. Now, inauthenticity is different. And for going to church and feeling like I am, my life is in shambles and I'm putting on a front, I'm being inauthentic here, or I'm sitting in my prayer life, I'm praying for all these things that actually do not matter to me. What I'm really grappling with is this deep doubt over here. And I feel like I can't voice that to the Lord. Well, in those seasons, I think it's really helpful to remind ourselves what those practices are for. And they are to draw us up into the heart of God. And the heart of God is for his people. So if we find ourselves, let's say, with the spiritual rhythm of prayer, and we are finding that we are praying about things that we are not actually caring about. I'm not burdened about, you know, let my week go smoothly and help this project at work go well. But we're like actually grappling with some deep-seated doubt about the Lord's goodness to us because we're in a prolonged season of singleness and we desire to be in a relationship or a prolonged season of infertility and we desire to have a child. You know, whatever that longing is um, that causes us to doubt the Lord's goodness. If we're there, the best thing to do is to say, you know what, I'm going to set aside what I think this rhythm needs to look like. I'm going to set aside this quote unquote 15 minutes a day in prayer and said, I'm going to journal and trust that the Lord is reading over my shoulder. I'm going to write honestly. I'm going to write authentically. I'm going to share from the pit of my soul where I am at. I'm going to mix my physical practice up so that I can remind myself again of the true spiritual reality that the Lord is not afraid of my prayers, even the true and honest, authentic ones that I'm scared to voice aloud. Um, if we can't pray that in small group, when we pray it out loud, then pour it onto the pages of your journal or whisper it in the dark mornings of your living room, but get yourself into a place where you can be authentic and then see how the Lord would work you towards those disciplines while remembering that these disciplines are meant to draw us up into the heart of God. And so God's heart is always for his people. We're not going to surprise him and we're not going to surprise ourselves by finding ourselves practicing these things and be like, man, I really... I really thought that um, I was going to stretch out my hand for a good gift from God and he was going to smack it away. Like that's just not God's heart and his posture towards his people. So when we practice these, these spiritual rhythms, what we're doing is receiving an invitation to be drawn up into God's heart. And we can trust that as we reach out our hands to practice them, he's going to receive us with grace. One of the greatest joys that I've found in life is working with high school students who are just curious or hungry for Jesus and for his word. But something that I have noticed is that when I talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual rhythms, sometimes there's like maybe this this lens in which they view spiritual rhythms and they start practicing them out of legality. And I wonder how can we encourage others around us towards engaging meaningfully instead of making it a thing of legalism? I 
I think one of the most fundamental truths as Christians, the gospel of grace, is one that we are most often prone to forget when we are entering spirit, seasons of spiritual growth. So when we are interested in growing, one of the most foundational, fundamental principles we are prone to forget is that in the gospel, I am more loved now than I ever will be. And I can never be shaken from that place of love. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there is nothing I can do to make God love me less. So we enter these rhythms of spiritual growth saying, you know, I want to grow up in Christ, which is a wonderful desire. That desire was put there by God. So by all means, grow up into them. But keep that gospel message in front of you, because otherwise you can be tricked into believing that somehow by doing these things, God is going to love you more. And it is an impossibility. Isn't that such good news? It is an impossibility for anything that we do in our bodies, in our hearts, in our minds, um, words that roll off our tongue. It is impossible for those who are in Christ to be loved any more than we are right now. And so to keep that truth in front of us reminds us one of the reason we do these things, and that's to grow up into Christ, to grow into maturity. But also when you remember that, don't you want to grow up in Christ? Don't you want to know this God more who has lavishly poured out his love on us? so that we can be sons and daughters. I mean, doesn't it make you just say, let me abide with God in his word. Let me commune with him in prayer. Let me go to the places where saints are gathering to worship him. Let me go um, sit under the preached word of God. Let me participate in these things because goodness, this goodness of God is squarely in front of me. I can't be loved any more than I am right now. I can't be loved any less than I am right now. And I want to know this God of love. So I think by keeping that in front of ourselves, we actually can avoid legalism and we can't, we can sidestep legalism while also charging headlong into growing in maturity as we grow to know this God who loves us so very much. Amy, I, I love your passion for this topic. And so I'd, I'd love to ask something that's maybe a little bit vulnerable, but in your own life, how have you seen spiritual rhythms change your walk with Christ? I think the main rhythm that the Lord has used to challenge me, this might be a surprise, um, but one of the main rhythms that the Lord has used in my own life to change how I relate to God in Christ is the rhythm of Sabbath, practicing Sabbath, which for us, it's one day a week. It's not Sundays because we're church planters, but on Fridays, we take a Sabbath. And um, essentially, we set aside the productivity of work is the idea um, for us. At least in our home, we set aside productivity, um, the productivity of work in order to take up the rest that Christ calls us to. One of the ways that this has shaped me so drastically or one of the reasons it has shaped me so drastically is that I am very prone to finding my identity in what I produce. I love to make things. I love to produce things. I love efficiency and productivity. These are a big part of my personality. And God has wired me that way. That's a good gift. He's given me the gift of productivity. It makes our home run well. It means that when I go to the grocery store, I'm very likely to get everything I can at one store. I'm not going to go to six different stores to get our groceries for the week. You know, it makes me, I am productive. I like to create things in ideation and see them through to production. 
Um, I run a shop called Tiny Theologians. So creating in my mind the discipleship resources I want my kids to use and then pushing print on them and making them available to other families. That is a good gift he's given me. But it can be very easy for me then to see my day in terms of its productivity. How much did I accomplish today? How much was produced by my effort? And by choosing to rest, by choosing to practice Sabbath, I draw away from my work, from my productivity of work. And because let's let's all be honest, parenting is still work and you have to do that on a day of Sabbath. You have to do it on the day of rest. Um, but I pull away from the productivity of work and I am reminded that the primary way God sees me is as his child. He is not less pleased in me in a day that produced zero dollars for our family budget, zero meals to put on our family's table, zero um, whatever, you know, fill in the blank with the productivity thing of choice. But God is not any less pleased in me. He does not delight in me any less on that day of Sabbath than he does on a Monday when I hit the ground running. So that has been a big rhythm. A dis- it's taken discipline to not pick up my phone and answer work emails, to not just let me really quick check and see if that product that I've been thinking about sourcing, if you know that vendor has given me a quote yet. Nope, we're going to put that down in order to pick up the yoke of Christ that is easy and light so that we can be reminded of who we truly are and how we are truly valued in the kingdom of God. Amy, I am so excited just for people to be able to listen to all the the wisdom that you have on this topic. Before we end, and you mentioned it, Tiny Theologians, can you share with us some projects that you're working on right now or what's coming out? What what can we look forward to? I would love to share that. Um, so Tiny Theologians is the brand that I've created that creates discipleship resources for kids ages 2 to 12. And we have some really fun stuff launching in the next two months. For So in September and October, you're going to see a lot of fun stuff all about the Old Testament. Um, we created an adventure through the Old Testament workbook for parents and kids to do together that goes book by book through the Old Testament. It shows how Jesus is on every page, page while teaching things like authorship and genre, teaching kids to get into the spiritual rhythm of quiet time, basically. Basically, giving them some questions for reflection and a prayer point to kind of get them in the habit of having a time, a daily time um, in the word and then time in prayer. Um, so that's what Tiny Theologians. Oh, and we made this big, it's like a jumbo floor puzzle, and it's the timeline of the Old Testament. That was a fun one because honestly, there are so many times where I'm like, okay, God's people, I open to the book of Judges and I'm like, okay, they're they're post wilderness and they're pre pre temple, but like, where are we? So that was a fun one to think about when does the exile happen and when is the temple destroyed and then when is it rebuilt? All of those things. So that was that's a really fun project. And honestly, I think parents are going to learn a lot. Um, from that one too. So, and then the Bible study schoolhouse is um, the platform where I do all of my Bible teaching for adults. So I do verse by verse studies there and I'm releasing an Advent study this year and it's called Then Sings My Soul. And it's a close up look at the biblical themes in four key Christian hymns for Advent. So we're looking at songs like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and Joy to the World um, and Joy Has Dawned Upon the World and looking at these hymns and their biblical themes, finding them throughout the Old and New Testament as we tune our hearts to sing the grace of God. So those are two things that are coming up from things that the Lord has called me to work on, but things that have been a real joy to produce for the church. All right. I know people are excited and want to know where can we find you on social media? 
Yes, my social media is Amy Kate Gannett, A-M-Y-C-A-T-E-G-A-N-N-E-T-T, and at Tiny Theologian. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the conversation. Brennan and I hope you found it both helpful and relevant. If you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show. We almost always use Instagram stories to ask questions pertaining to the next episode leading up to the recording. So keep a lookout for such in case you have any burdening questions on that topic and for the opportunity to potentially have your questions asked. Either way, thanks again for listening. And as Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, test everything, hold fast what is true.